the Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and friends. Indeed, welcome to the show. This is another episode of The Boys of Tech, New Zealand's longest running tech podcast. This episode is number 323 for Wednesday, the 18th of March, 2015. My name is Edwin Herman. I want to welcome my co-host, Brett King. Ahoy, ahoy. Hey, well, Brett, here we are gathered once again to uh, have a yarn about the uh, latest tech stories. So first up, what have we got to talk about? We've got the, oh yes, these uh, hackers that uh, Kaspersky have been following. I think you're familiar with the story. Yeah. So in summary, Kaspersky have been following these uh, the work of these particular hackers that I think they've called the Equation Group. Uh, they've dubbed them the Equation Group. And the more they looked at their work, the more similarities they drew with Stuxnet. Now, Stuxnet, we've talked about before, haven't we, Brett, on this, on this show? Yeah, a long, long time ago. That's right. And Stuxnet is believed to have been the work of the NSA. Yep. Mm. So what does that tell us about the equation group? Well, it tells us that... <laughs> that they're quite possibly affiliated with probably a very rich organization with a large reach. So possibly the NSA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, <laughs> I was reading some of the stuff they've done. And we've talked about some of the stuff they've done previously because this the latest release of information that Kaspersky's come out with to talk about this group that they've named the equation group the last story that they had about it we talked about um, several episodes ago which was about the infection of hard disks yeah 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 exactly and uh look let me just i've got a list of bullet points here of uh, basically a summary of the, the kinds of techniques and uh feats that the equation group have managed can mm. I just can I just read some of these out, Brett, from the um, document you sent me? Yep. So the use of virtual file systems, which was also a feature found in the highly sophisticated Regin malware, the stashing of malicious files in multiple branches of an infected computer's registry. Now, by encrypting all malicious files and storing them in multiple branches of a computer's Windows registry, infection is pretty much impossible to detect with antivirus software. Mm-hmm. Redirects that sent iPhone users to unique exploit web pages. And in addition, infected machines reporting to the Equation Group command servers identify themselves as Macs, which suggests the group not only successfully compromised iOS, but also OS X, Mac OS X. Uh, what else is there? There's uh, the use of more than 300 internet domains and 100 servers to host a, a command and control infrastructure. Also, USB stick-based reconnaissance malware to map air-gapped networks. Now, air-gapped networks are uh, networks that are not directly connected 
to the internet. Now, incidentally, both Stuxnet and also the uh, related Flame malware platform also had the ability to do that. So there's there's definitely similarities coming through. Mm-hmm. And uh, also they've managed to find a novel way of bypassing code signing restrictions in uh, recent versions of Windows, right? As well, I think they've done that as well, haven't they? Yeah. Hmm. So how do they? I think they did a, a. They used a known vulnerability in an already signed driver for Clone CD to achieve kernel level code execution. So indeed. So these guys, you know, whether they are the NSA or 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 completely unrelated, or somewhere in the, <laughs> or somewhere in the middle. Indeed. Well, uh, whoever they are, they are a highly skilled and incredibly well-funded uh, group to be able to do what they have done, because some of the th- some of the things that they have done have just would require such a level of either authority or brute force capabilities, such as what we talked about last time with their ability to infect the firmware of a hard drive. It's no easy feat. And as you say, Brett, it makes you think these guys are backed by a lot of money. They're being paid, perhaps, to do this. Mm-hmm. Who would have such a, such a budget, Brett? Indeed. And by looking at the targets, <laughs> the main targets that have been identified by Kaspersky's um, tracking of this group and their, their telltale signatures, it, it, it does look like a, a government sort of targeting with the high infection rates of equation group stuff being kind of, you know, centred in Iran, Russia, Pakistan, Afghanistan, India, China. (laughs) Mm, It looks very much government-backed, if not government, uh, you know, directly government. So uh, Mm. you're absolutely right. Um, So Kaspersky has been, well, I think, following these guys for... 14 14 years. 14 years, yeah. Do you know what amazes me about this whole thing, though, Brett? Is not how, well, I, I guess how sophisticated these attacks have been. But mm. more so than that, what amazes me is how Kaspersky have found and uncovered this whole thing. I think that's almost more of a feat than the original feat itself. Well, yeah, it does, it does show their commitment that they've tracked all of these different, all these different events, all these different malwares, these different types of infections happening all over the place. And through tiny little clues, tiny little missteps in the equation group's processes, they have pieced together these different independent instances and put them all together as actually all of this stuff is all interrelated. All of this stuff comes from the same place. It is is quite an impressive and (laughs) probably quite tedious set of work that they did. But I, I bet that when they first saw these little straws of similarity between these different things, they would have gotten that excitement of putting a puzzle together and put all this effort into, yeah, putting this puzzle together and they've come up with with this bigger picture which yeah <laughs> is quite impressive not only in their ability to put this puzzle together but in the the original participants creation of the puzzle mm. yeah uh, you know the the rewriting of hard drive firmware is <laughs> you know that, that it's covers a major thing exactly. nothing can check that N- yeah th- exactly and the way that the what they're using it for the 
ability to rewrite the firmware of the hard drive so that the hard drive will keep a piece of itself that they can then have their malware store things in. So even if you even if you you know use military grade erasing software to erase that hard drive, you will not touch this one bit of the hard drive which the firmware itself is hiding. Yeah, exactly. It's very advanced, and as yeah. you say, well, as Kaspersky have demonstrated the similarities between this and previous work that's almost certainly the NSA oh, work. Oh, indeed, a, a lot of just it comes striking, back it? to a lot of the documents that Edward Snowden has released from his time working at the NSA, which contain all of these different code words and things, and they've seen repetitions of those of you know those words or those similar lines of words um, and phrases inside the equation group's work, which is what has led them to imply, not outright claim, but imply <laughs> that the equation group is possibly related to the NSA. Mm. It, it's honest, it's a great, re- I'm glad you uh, mentioned this. For our listeners who want to read more, you can Google that. Um, there are a number of articles on it. It's honestly, it's it's a fantastic read. It's just read. an amazing story it on is. both sides. The developments of this equation group and their, you know, their ways of infiltrating, then quite nefarious and horrible ways of infiltrating things, and the counter side to it of of Kaspersky's detective trail, hunting down and putting these pieces together. It is just, it is quite amazing. Mm, uh, uh, totally, totally. And, you know, it's not the first time Kaspersky have uncovered some mind-blowing hacking work. And, and this is just yet another example, probably the best example I, that I can remember anyway and uh, for, for a long time, in fact. Mm. One of the best examples of, of the detective work that Kaspersky has undertaken. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so is it the NSA? Well, you know, like you say, we can't say for sure, yes, it is the NSA, but what we can say and what Kaspersky is saying is that the similarities are so striking, the evidence all points to the same uh, motives. Yeah, same motives, same sort of conclusion. Yeah, I mean, you know... Because it's it's not, none of it's indiscriminate. Everything that they have done, everything this equation group has done has been so very targeted. Even their, their levels of malware, it's like you get infected by one piece of malware and that malware determines whether or not you are a target. And if you're not a target, it removes itself. If you are a target, it brings down the big guns mm. <laughs> and infects you with other stuff. Yeah, and you know, really, I think in any rational person's mind, I mean, if it looks like a duck, swims like a duck and quacks like a duck, then it probably is a duck. Probably is a duck. But you've just got to, it does make your mind boggles a little bit with these this these guys this equation group they've had a lot of time a lot of technology a lot of money a lot of um you know free reign to develop and do these different exploits that are like quite insidious in the manner of their workings for instance the 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 hard drive firmware one for instance which cannot be detected Hmm that it makes you ponder how long is it going to take for somebody with significant criminal intentions to get that ability as well? 
Well, you know, for all we know, there may well be, and in fact there probably are criminals using some of these similar techniques. I know. But it, it makes, which, you know, go, which is a worry, isn't wow, it? What, mm. we've got all of these chicken egg races here. <laughs> mm. Somebody that is, uh, you know, supposedly doing this for the good of their country. If we take, if we go by the supposition that this was the NSA, right? So they would be doing this sort of thing for the benefit of America and their, their defense and security and intelligence network, etc. But when that, facility then gets out into the wider world where criminal elements pick it up. It's they've put all the hard work in. They've put all of the resources, time and effort to develop these abilities. And then the criminal elements can just come in and work straight off that without having put any of their own time and effort into it. So, Well, they still need to implement the same sort of I mean, they need to employ the same techniques, sure. I mean, they still... Oh, well, yeah, work. but the point is they don't need to discover the techniques because the techniques get discovered by the people with the tons of money and the tons of time. They then get found out, reported, and then while everybody is scrambling to find ways to fix it, because of the reporting, the criminal element suddenly has targets to put their yeah, sights on. Sure, so, they, so it, it gives the criminals a target but it doesn't give them the step-by-step how-to, does it? Well, it depends on who discovered it and how much they published. Well, I mean, I assume yeah, Kaspersky, I mean, you know, that they published certain details to, to certain vendors but yeah. otherwise they wouldn't, other, you know, they wouldn't otherwise release information. By the way, Brett, something else that we forgot to mention is also uh, some of the uh, techniques that were they'd been using as well as things like intercepting mail, and I don't mean email, I mean parcels. Yeah, through yeah. The postal system. And this like, is another thing which s- s- goes to show that they've got some kind of influence somewhere oh, for them to a- be abs- able to a- easily intercept. Absolutely. Your, your regular, even your sophisticated crimps don't do that sort of stuff. They're intercepting, you know, uh, hardware like Cisco routers going through the through the uh, the postal system. Yeah. Uh, and, installing and covert firmware on them. And so, sorry. CD, CDs of conference proceedings. That's right. So, yeah, and they've tampered with the CDs. So, you know, like you say, Brett, to intercept the mail system, uh, look, you know, let's face it, it, it's it's very much like something the NSA would be capable of doing. Mm. So, mm. And, and very few others, if, if any. Yeah, so. Indeed. Very few <laughs> others would have that ability. Yeah, amazing story, is, that one. It's just, it's just such an interesting read the backwards and forwards, the to and froing of putting mm. these puzzle pieces together, as well as the you know, the massive technological leaps that the equation group has done with what they've been able to, you know, pull off, how they've been able to em- exploit different things. It's quite impressive. Totally. Totally. I'm glad you uh, you raised that one and, and sent me that uh, document. That's a very interesting read. Uh, now, what I want to talk about next, and in fact, I'll get you to talk about it, is... Uh, something that raised a curiosity of a researcher about uh, some stars that were pulsating. Their brightness over time was pulsating. There were, in fact, two cycles of of uh, light pulsating, one superimposed in the, uh, you know, over the other. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the ratio between the two pulses, you get a ratio that is very close to the golden ratio, 1.6. One eight, I think it is something around there. Yeah, one point six. Yeah, one point six one eight, which perhaps might make some people think, "Oh, 
is, you know, why would a star pulsate at the, you know, the golden ratio, of course, is the, uh, you know, A is to B as B is to A plus B. Uh, that's the ratio. So that's kind of, a, a, if you like, a magical constant or not so magical, but, you know, a special constant in, in mathematics. Why would something pulsate ex- clo- almost exactly at that ratio? Is Could it be that there's some intelligent life out there? Indeed. Causing could it, the could it have been artificially influenced? <laughs> exactly. That's, and that's, that's what, that yeah. was the initial thought that struck John Learned, a neutrino physicist at the University of Hawaii. He had been studying this, a specific star and the pulsations that it was coming from and he was pondering whether or not the way that it was pulsing could be influenced by an intelligent species manipulating the straw to you know send out signals to contact other people and he was pondering this when he showed the data to a colleague of his who looked at the frequencies that were driving the pulsations the, the ratio of the the frequencies that were driving the pulsations and recognized that they were very close to the golden mean and that in fact (laughs) this was something quite curious a mathematical curiosity because it was something that had has is very rarely seen but could be something really important in the way that these dynamical systems work and also showed that it was not (laughs) a artificially influenced thing and probably not an intelligent society contacting us through <laughs> pulsing stars. So perhaps, uh, uh, you know, what might look like something highly exciting turning out to be perhaps something explainable in other ways. Indeed. It, it was not a, a random event. It was, it was what's called a strange non-chaotic attractor, a mathematical curiosity partway, you know, caught halfway between order and chaos. And it, you know, spirals out to this brilliant mathematical stuff, the mathematical work behind chaos systems and dynamical systems, like pendulum swinging and weather and all that sort of stuff, all plot through attractors and everything thinks, uh, well, mathematicians in the 1970s used attractors to model behavior of different chaotic systems and they found that the paths of such through such systems were dependent on exact starting conditions which is what brought about you know the the butterfly effect and everything everything that people have heard in popular culture nowadays the butterfly effect Mm. a movie with what's his face (laughs) from that 70s show but yeah all about chaos systems how something small here over here can have a massive implication once it's travelled through the attractor onto the, the other side of the system. But then they discovered, mathematicians proposed and then experimentally proved a new type of attractor called the strange non-chaotic attractor, which is where you have two different frequencies interacting with each other, which meant that suddenly a small fluctuation somewhere only produces a small fluctuation on the other side. And so they become, while still chaotic, they are not entirely chaotic. And they do create yeah, Hmm. they do create a pattern. Hmm. And so the first of this was demonstrated using a piece of um, metal tinsel and pumping two different frequencies through it and watching how it vibrated. And this is one of the other examples of this rare 
non-chaotic strange attractors of these pulsing of the stars, these two different frequencies of pulsations, which create a a, a pattern. You know, I I've read a lot of books on on mathematics in my time, and and I mean, you know, uh, not like textbooks. I mean, uh, literature, I guess. And you know, one of the topics that occasionally will, will come up in, in these various books is our ability this is almost really psychology really at work here the the ability for the brain to see coincidences to see patterns where there really aren't or aren't necessarily so mm. for example it's often been said that you know we can see evidence of the golden ratio in the human body the ratio uh, for example from your head to your belly button uh, that distance compared with the distance from your belly button to your feet is pretty close to the golden ratio, as is the ratio of the length of your hand compared to the length of your forearm, excluding your hand. That was also the golden ratio. These are nothing mm-hmm. but coincidences because... Isn't it, it the same for your, your head? The the space the, the from the top of your head to your eyes and your eyes to your chin? See, I was told it was exact, supposed to be half... Really? When, when I was uh, learning art, yeah, I was told that was half, but uh, I don't know. Um, I, th- I think maybe eyebrows, perhaps. I'm, <clears throat> I'm looking at another diagram here. They, they seem to show from eyebrows. You know, you can find – the thing is, on the human body, there are so many points of reference that you can – you know, there's so many measurements, widths of fingers, <laughs> lengths of fingers, lengths of segments of fingers, lengths of arms and, and parts yep. of arms, widths of your body, reference points like your nipples, your belly button, your your knees, your toes, ankles. There are so – and the face has umpteen different – you know, there are so many different measurements. So many numbers can come out of this. You can probably find if you, if you spend the time uh, probably a dozen examples that come very close to the golden ratio, but more importantly, that come close to any arbitrary number that you come up with. Mm. And what might seem like you know, wow, look at this amazing coincidence. Uh, you know, what what's behind this? What's the meaning of this? Doesn't necessarily mean there is a meaning. It just means that if you have a a, a big enough sample pool of numbers, you can you can devise pretty much or come yeah. up with with pretty well, much any number. It's the same reason that people see faces in smoke and puppy dogs in clouds. Oh, that's right. And the face on Mars. Yep. Or is that, or is, or is that one? <laughs> We're very one? good at attempting to find <laughs> patterns. Yeah, exactly. And so, trying to match those patterns yeah. to things that we know. Now, that's often a good thing, though, because where there is meaning, uh, where there is a meaning behind it, the fact that we get attracted to these patterns is great because we then notice them mm explore them and uncover something unfortunately it also means that we could we do sometimes get overexcited over nothing like this you know although having said that it's great to get an, exp- an explanation of even if it's n- nothing to do with intelligent life uh, you know caught you know um artificially creating this pulsating frequency as a message even if it's it turns out not to be that to know the answer behind that is also very helpful or can be helpful as well mm. yeah so hmm Cool. Indeed, it is. It is one of the very few examples of this particular thing: strange, non-chaotic attractors in nature. Though you know, they they reckon they're probably everywhere. <laughs> so yeah, mm. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. No. I'm, I'm, again, I'm I'm glad you pointed that story out. Last story. Then uh, I see that there's a lawsuit. <laughs> there's always lawsuits. There's a lawsuit building against car manufacturers. And mm-hmm. the, 
In a nutshell, the lawsuit is claiming that car manufacturers have not done enough to secure the onboard control systems. In other words, they are far too easy to hack. Indeed. Uh, Massively easy to hack, especially when you consider that modern cars have many, many, many different electronic control units within the vehicle to monitor and control everything from your electric windows to your side mirrors to your lights to your brakes to your acceleration to the tuning of your engines the sparking of your spark plugs traction control all of that traction control absolutely everything in a modern car is controlled with an electronic control unit and most of these electronic control units these days they talk wirelessly on what is called a controller area network within the car. Yeah, that's something I didn't know about. Uh, This is kind of new to me. I I thought everything would be wired, and my first reaction to the story was, hang on a moment, if they've got physical access to your car to get into the network, they can do other things like, you know, uh, like sever your your brake line, uh, you know, so what's mm-hmm. what's the big deal? But this is this is further than that. This is these things are controlling and talking to each other wirelessly. Yeah, that's the and issue. Insecurely, as has been demonstrated many many times, including once at a cybersecurity conference where a fourteen-year-old hacked into a car's controller area network with a device that he built overnight with $15 worth of parts from Radio Shack. (laughs) And he was able to hack into it. And Uh, DARPA uh, released a study in 2003, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, released a study that found that researchers could use, you know, wirelessly connect to a car's systems and cause the car to turn, cause it to accelerate, cause it to brake, cause it to not be able to brake do all of these things and they considered that the defects that were present to be real threats to the physical well-being of drivers and passengers and basically everybody else using the road and they let car manufacturers know the vulnerabilities before they released the report but none of these vulnerabilities have been addressed by any of the major car manufacturers. So why do they make them, the thing I can't understand, and I don't know whether you can answer this question either, but why do they make these things, these ECUs, communicate wirelessly? Why not just Well, it's significantly easier for me to take off the bit and replace the new bit by just putting it in than it is for me to take the bit off, replace the, the, the oh, God, what part in there? The bit that controls your window going up and down. I can take the bit out and put a new bit in it's a lot easier to just do that than it is to take a new bit out and put a new bit in and reconnect all of the many, many different cables that go everywhere. Yeah, but surely it's only just a, a it'll be, there's like, it's got a power, you know, a, well, yeah, a power cable to start like with. one power line that goes through it. But so, so surely they make these things wireless because it also means that when you go into a service place, they don't need to plug anything into your car. Yeah, I, I guess. It just seems like it's... And maybe it is so that they don't have to run massive numbers of cables from one end of the car to the other. Mm, maybe. I, I guess way, it must be a like reason. Like you said, but- if they put wires in there, it would make it significantly harder to hack. But the, the fact of the matter is the vast majority of modern cars have all of the different parts of the car communicating wirelessly. Mm. Yeah. 
There's even ones that monitor your tire pressure, apparently. Yep, yep. Your your hubcaps have sensors in them, and they will be sending information. Amazing. My my cars don't have. <laughs> I've got two cars, and neither of them have that that level of fancy. Uh, where are in were any of your cars built within the last four or five years? Well, the, my most recent cars are two thousand and six, and that does have a bunch of stuff that it controls, but <clears> nothing like tire pressure and uh, yeah, yeah. And, well, and whatnot. It, it'll have ECUs in it, you yeah. Know? yeah. Um, but yeah, they'll all be wired. It's not all of these new ones, but it is all about these remote sensors. So they'll have a sensor in the wheel itself. Obviously, that sensor is not going to be able to have a really good cable connection to anything spinning around constantly. Yeah, I wondered how they get power to that. I've always wondered that. Yeah. <laughs> how well, is it powered? Maybe it powers itself with a dynamo when it's going yeah, around and around in circles. That's what. That's the one that. That's what I. I guessed, and I was going to look into this because I was quite fascinated. How do they, you know, how do they do that on the you know, on the wheel on on a moving part? It's like, hmm, how are you going to do that? So a dynamo is probably... obvi- obviously in those situations, having it wirelessly communicate is far better. Oh, in fact, it's the only way, really. Yeah, indeed. Unless you're going to have but you know brush by technology. having that communication be open. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the, the problem, the can isn't it? Yeah, mm. being open to accept all these random communications, it does mean that yeah, if you happen to be driving by a fourteen-year-old who spent fifteen dollars <laughs> to buy some bits and put a thing together, and he happens to be in a bad mood that day, you might find yourself suddenly accelerating. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, exactly. So the the lawsuit was filed in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California by attorney Mark Stanley, and that was done on behalf of three vehicle owners who obviously approached him about this. Uh, but, of course, also, and I quote here, all others similarly situated, unquote. Yeah, so trying to bring it into class, class action. Class action, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's against uh, Ford, GM, Chrysler, and Toyota, I think. Is that correct? Uh, ba, 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 ba. No, just the, f- the big three, not Chrysler. Toyota, Ford, and GM are in this current lawsuit. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, I was getting mixed up with the Alliance of Automobile Manufacturers, which does represent Ford, GM, and Chrysler, as well as others like Toyota, Volkswagen, AG, and others. So, so the lawsuit itself is the three. So, to, to get that right yeah, again, the lawsuit to- Toyota, is against those big three Ford first, obviously, because okay. they're going after them and the little guys will have to follow suit <laughs> yeah. based on whatever happens from that. I think what you're thinking of is the um, the letter committing to principles of um, safety and privacy. That's right. Yeah. So, that uh, was done that by the Alliance the of Automobile two, yeah. Manufacturers, the AAM. Yeah. So yeah, let's um, let's see where that goes. I, I you know, indeed, because it's a it's a major concern mm. that people don't think about. Mm. And, and you know, if it leads to bit these of... car manufacturers have not thought about it either, because <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not only have they failed, did the the DARPA study in 2013 show that they had massive vulnerabilities in the infrastructure of their cars, but a much more recent report, I think from February this year, in fact, released by Senator Edward Markey from Massachusetts, in that it also claims that they have fallen short in their responsibility to, um, you know, protect the integrity of their vehicle's electronics. It's so, something to be aware of and something they should fix because 
you do not want to have anybody with malicious intent have the ability to hack somebody's MPV and send it careening into somebody else's car. No, exactly. And, you know, the thing is, if this lawsuit leads to better security in cars, that that's a positive outcome. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, the car manufacturers obviously don't want to lose the lawsuit in terms of having to pay damages, which is what the mm. lawsuit is seeking, actually. But at the same time, as I say, if it leads to improved security or at least some security at all, it sounds like there isn't any, yes. then, uh, then you know, that, as I say, that's a positive outcome. So it could take a while, though, right? This thing could take a year or more, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, could so, do. you know... But- yeah. They've got some significant evidence on their side of to, you know about how easy the, the the vehicles from these manufacturers are to circumvent. The thing I, I I guess you know it's a civil lawsuit. This is the thing. So it's seeking damages as opposed to it. You know, it's not the case that it is illegal to build an insecure system. No, it, it, it's a civil case, but not, it is not a criminal case. Indeed, it is. It is. You open yourself up to risk. That the fact that they're wanting damages because they were led to believe that this car would be a good, brilliant car, but in fact, it has a significant defect, which massively undervalues the car and does not deliver on what the manufacturers said the car would deliver on. That's I kind wonder, of what, they're, what they're taking it for. I wonder how far the the wireless travels. I mean, I, I guess. You'd think it wouldn't be that far, that it would only be maybe a couple of metres. Yeah, but that, yeah. Edwin, how close do cars get in gridlock? Oh, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm not I'm not using that as an excuse to say it's not a problem, but I'm just curious to know, all I'm saying is that it's a different situation than, say, mass hacking that happens on the internet. That This will be something that can, that will happen. Well, it depends. What, you know, there are all kinds of things which happen to sit incredibly close to the road which are connected to the internet. So somebody could sit back, hack into a system that has a presence oh, close to a, a road yeah, that's and true. utilize that as a vector to hack into cars. Well, that's, actually, that's a point. Or park, park, their, park, their own, or park, on, park their own car on the side of the road and uh, affect everything that goes past. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's a point. Hmm. The thing that's always amazed me about cars, this is a slight tangent, but the thing that I've, I've always, I've never really understood is how easy it is to break into cars, physically I mean. Oh yeah. And, and, and yet, you know, have we seen an improvement? I mean, all you have to do is watch a car getting towed away to see how easy it is for the towy to get into your car and release the handbrake. I know, because they've got, <laughs> don't they have like requirements? For for towing, that like but, alarms alarms turn themselves off if the vehicle is tilted to a certain degree because then the vehicle assumes that it's being towed and therefore it's you know I wasn't aware of that. Okay, that may be so, but that might be something but, that I but, just saw in a movie. <laughs> well, even if, look, that's neither here nor there. The fact that you know uh, someone can physically break into your car very easily if they know what to do. Yeah, I, I just don't understand how that's possible. Door locks on houses have evolved over time, have been developed mm-hmm. over time mm-hmm. to stop people breaking but in. Most, you know, door locks on houses have 
quite significant things to impair you from getting to the actual mechanism of the lock. And so should cars. But they don't because it's in the door and it's very close to a window that winds up and down, which means there's got to be a gap to allow the window to go yeah, up. Yeah, but I, I, I don't... It, it, I don't buy that. It doesn't make sense to me. It, it can't be that... But it does make d- sense. Because d- if you've got a window that goes up and down, the window needs to have a place. And if the window's going to be going up and down and the lock is on the outside, everything to do with the lock must be on that side of the window. Yeah, I understand. So I understand what you're saying. But these things... If you can slide something down that side, you can get access to whatever it is. Yeah, but there's ways that, you know, you can put... Well, on, on modern but, cars, you've got uh, a lot of that has been bypassed with the fact that the locking mechanism is now el- electronic. Yeah, exactly. But there's still, still a moving part. You don't put a key in anymore. You just... Well, that's right. But that's still easy to break in. This is my point. And there's still a moving part in there. There's, it can't be that hard. I just don't understand it. it it's something that's always... No, if, they're using the, if they're using the Jimmy bar, the pry bar, right, to open it, then it's got a physical lock physical mechanism. The electronic ones have the locking mechanism on that side of the door and you can't get to it. There's nothing to jimmy in. Unless we're talking about an industry specific specification which says it must have an ability to get in, such as what I was... I'd be very surprised if I hadn't heard about this before. Our alarms turn off when you tilt the car. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if that's the case. I, I would have thought that we would have heard about this, but... I don't know. It's just something I've been pondering. Maybe someone out there knows something about the car industry and perhaps can leave us a, a pointer on our website in the comment, <laughs> comment section, boysoftech.com. Why is it so easy to open your car door? Yeah, uh, yeah. That's, there's a question for it. Well, why, why is it so easy for some people to open your car door, but not you when you've locked your keys in it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 You've nailed it. Thank you, Brett. And on that note, let's wrap up episode 323. Brett, I want to thank you very much for co-hosting. Not a problem, man. Alrighty, we'll do it again next time. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the week and a fantastic weekend. We'll see you on the other side of the weekend. Until then, take care, everyone. Goodbye. Arrivederci.